I want us to honor Pastor Handsome and Pastor Darling this morning. Andrew and Carol, can we just honor them? I'm going to ask you to stand. Let's stand and honor these great people. I'll tell you why we're doing that just now. Let's honor them. Let's really honor them. Thank you. You can take your seats. The reason I honor them is uh, even though I've known them for 23 years, I've seen them working and serving faithfully in the kingdom. Really, really people I look up to and trust and believe that God has got great and amazing things ahead for you guys. Amen. Awesome. If I could do that standing ovation while I'm standing, I would do it. But we honor you guys. Great to be here. Really trust God that he's got some stuff that he has for us this morning. As, as we were worshiping, I, I, I had this vision of a snowball. You know, a snowball, as it goes down, it gains momentum and it grows and it grows and it grows. And I feel that's what God is doing. In fact, this morning I got a prophetic word from one of the intercessors back in Rosebank who said that uh, there's going to be a moment in the service where you feel like you are drinking of the water and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I felt that, really felt that as Andrew was leading us into worship. And it was just that prophetic word that God wants us to come and drink. Amen. So when we gather on Sundays, we don't just gather for the sake of gathering. We are coming to drink. We are coming to drink and then we are sent out into the city to make a difference in the city. So as we do this uh, Bless the City uh, sermon series, I'm so encouraged. I'm so blessed that we get to be a blessing to Johannesburg. And you'll hear why we love Joburg just in a moment. Because I believe that God has called us and placed us here for a reason. I'm believing God, that God will challenge you to trust Him to see the city transformed and changed with His kingdom, for His kingdom, and for His glory. I just love the course that you'll be doing, Kingdom Life Skills. As Pastor Carol was preaching those announcements, I felt like I want to come to that growth course. You know, like that power and that passion. That's what we are here to do. Amen. We are placed here in Joburg to bring the kingdom of God. Let me share a testimony with you. Uh, on Thursday, my wife comes home after she got the girls from, uh, from school. And she says to me, there's this new family that just uh, moved into our neighborhood. And I found out at school that they just moved into our neighborhood. I think we should take them a meal. One of my wife's uh, gifts is a gift of hospitality. So then I said, yes, we can take them a meal because I won't have to cook the meal. I'll help with the salad. Um, and yesterday we took them a meal and we just wanted to be a blessing to them. They're actually blown away like complete strangers met at school and we offered to, give, to bring them a meal because we want to bless the city. We get to their house. My wife had just told me the first name. She didn't tell me the first and the last name. As we arrived there, I'm like, I recognize this face. And it's a face I've seen on TV. He happens to be a, a coach of one of the big soccer teams in South Africa. At that point, my mind is going, free tickets, free tickets. But anyway, anyway back, to, back to bless the city, you know. And we have a conversation with them, and then we, 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 we plan to have a bride with them because part of blessing the city is eat with someone. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Bless the city is blessed with words, listen to the Holy Spirit, eat with someone, serve with love, and salt one. Salt stands for start the conversation, ask questions, and listen. The importance of listening is this. When you listen, you get to hear felt needs. You get to know where the people are at. And then you can tell his story before you tell your story. You tell his story, God's story, before you tell your story. 
And I say to people, you know, when you tell your story, people can argue about the gospel, they can argue about philosophies, but they cannot argue with a changed life. They cannot argue with a transformed life. You know, when we were taking communion this morning, I would always reflect of who I was before Christ and who I am today. If it wasn't for the cross, if it wasn't for the cross, I will not be standing before you. And as I ponder on that, I'm reminding myself that when I share the good news with people, I need to remind them and tell them it is Jesus who transformed my life. And you can't argue with that. You cannot argue with that. So as we do this series, we're looking for opportunities to be a blessing to the city of Johannesburg. God said to Abraham, I will make you a blessing. I will bless you so you can be a blessing. And all the peoples of the world will be blessed because of you. Because of us, all the peoples of the world will be blessed. I came across this tweet feed. This was from um, Advocate Tulima Doncella. The more I count my blessings, the more blessings I seem to have. The more I count my blessings, the more blessings I seem to have. The more we look back and say, God, look where you've taken us. Look where we are today. The more we become blessed to be a blessing. We're not just blessed for our own sakes. We are blessed to be a blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing. Before we go into the word, uh, I just want to say a few things about Johannesburg. Uh, I want to share these things with you because I believe that we need to have a vision for our city. We need to have a passion for our city. We need to say, as we talk about my heart matters, our hearts matter before God. And the, people's, the people of Joburg, their hearts, they matter before God. They matter before God. And I want to give you just a snapshot of what it means to be in this city, Joburg. It was in 2010 that myself and a few other leaders, we had a meeting with the mayor of Joburg. In fact, it was so difficult to get that meeting because the mayor says, the only time that people come to see me is when they want something. We say, we don't want anything from you. We just want to come and bless you. And we went and we met with the mayor and we started praying for him and his old cabinet. And Pastor Roger had a prophetic word for the mayor. And I saw the mayor writing down the prophetic word. At that point, I thought the kingdom of God has arrived in our city, seeing the mayor writing down that prophetic word. And I'm here to say to you that God has called us to make an impact in the city. The mayor shared this with us. He said his vision and passion for the city is Johannesburg to be a world-class African city. A world-class African city. It may look like it's taking too long for us to get there, but we're getting there. Let me give you a few wonderful things about Joburg. The word Joburg is also means Joyburg. Joyburg. It's a city of joy, you know. Craig came all the way from Cape Town to experience some of this joy, you know. You have the mountain, we have the joy. We have the joy of the Lord. Amen. Josie is another name for Joburg. I don't know what it means, but it's so anointed. Josie. You know, Josie. Egoli, the city of gold. Gauteng, Maboneng. Gauteng means gold. Maboneng means light. So when I grew up and my parents would come to Joburg, they would say, we're going to Gauteng, Maboneng, the city of lights. There's something about the city. You've got to catch it in the spirit. But the real meaning of the word Johannesburg is these two words, Johannes and Berg. Johannes from the name John. John means the beloved of God. So the city is the beloved of God. So that is why we say we are turning the city of gold to the city of God. We are turning the city of gold to the city of God. 
as we speak it, as we declare it, we'll see it happen. Amen. I have been offered jobs by other churches, Pastor Andrew, in every nation. And, 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 and then I say, no, 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 no. We are called to be here in Joburg for a reason. It was Grahamstown. They asked us to come and help there for a season. And my wife said, when you have a shopping mall, call us. <laughs> That's just to say that we, we are called here by God. A few things about Joburg. Joburg is over 120 years old, yet it is one of the youngest major cities in the world. The one city that's old and young at the same time. How's that, hey? Joburg is the biggest city in Africa after Cairo. So we have been the biggest city until recently. Cairo just overtook us. And having visited Cairo and seen the traffic, I said, you can keep number one. <laughs> Chris Honey Baragranath Hospital is the largest ac acute hospital in the world with close to 3,000 beds. The largest in the world, not only in Africa, where? In the world. They have over 6,000 staff members. That's the impact of this hospital. And we trust that God will continue to bring the transformation that's happening there in that hospital. Joburg is the world's largest, biggest man-made forest. I don't know if you know this. Sometimes when you travel on over, uh, fly over Johannesburg, all you see is trees and some swimming pools. But the trees, they say... There is, 11, uh, there is 10 million trees in Johannesburg. I don't know how they counted those trees. I think the guys had that Pastor Carol's prophetic anointing, like oh, 9 million? No, 10 million. 10 million trees. That's exactly how it happened, which helps with the greenhouse effect, and it reduces noise. That's something I didn't know. I'm like, wow, that's incredible. I'm glad I'm in Joburg. One of the best is... Joburg has the best weather in the world. You know, you ask who's the source. We are the source because we know it's the best weather in the world. Have you noticed how we skipped winter straight to summer? Beautiful, beautiful. The greatest treasure of our city is its people. We are known to be very friendly. You know, everywhere you go in Joburg, people will greet you. There is also a town, this is a bit of trivia, a town in California called Johannesburg. In fact, you think that they just came up with a name. No, they named it after our Joburg. They've named it after Johannesburg. That's our impact throughout the world. There's a township called Soweto in Nambia. You know a country called Nambia? Namibia. It was Donald Trump who called it Nambia. And he got in trouble for that. There's also a soccer team called Kaiser Chiefs in Namibia. Hallelujah. Not Orlando Pirates, Mike. <laughs> I want to say this. While Johannesburg may be known to be one of the dangerous cities in the world, we are praying and believing that that will change. We are praying and believing that that will change. We are transforming the city through discipleship. You know our vision, transforming lives, communities, and society through discipleship in the word, the presence, and the power of God. We are called to love God, love people, and love our city. Let us love our city. So we go to the Word this morning with this backdrop of the city where God has placed us. You know, when we talk about the city of Joburg, we're not just talking about city center. We're talking about the whole metropolitan city of Joburg. It was Tim Keller who said that the reason, one of the reasons why God loves cities is because of the millions of people that are in the city. People are flocked into the city. It's an easy way to reach the people. I mean, 
I, I was searching and I couldn't find the right stats for this, but in Johannesburg, you actually do find all African nations represented in Johannesburg. So you don't even have to go far to reach Africa. It's right here. All African nations are here in Joburg. Matthew 9.35. And when Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out the laborers into his harvest. It continues. Remember the Bible didn't have chapters and verses then? So the story continues. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sicknesses. May the Lord bless us as we study the scripture this morning. As we look at this portion of scripture, there are a couple of phrases that I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to us through these phrases. And I want us to unpack these phrases to bring them to where we are today when we say our hearts matters before God. When we say the city of Joburg matter before God. Let's look at these phrases. I'm just blessed that some of these phrases are repeated in Luke chapter 10, verse 1 and 2. After this, the Lord appeared, appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. That last phrase there speaks to me. It says that the harvest is His. It is His harvest field. It is not our harvest field. It is His harvest field. So if it is His harvest field, it means God loves the people in the world the same way that He loves us. Because it is His harvest field. The first thing that we find in this portion of Scripture, it is whenever Jesus was moved with compassion, He acted. Compassion moved him to action. What did he do after he said these words? He appointed the 12. The same phrases repeated here in Luke 10. What did he do? He appointed the 72. He's not only saying, let us pray to the Lord of the harvest to bring in the harvest. He's saying, I'm going to model it to you by appointing the disciples. So for us, it's the same. Not only do we pray that the Lord will bring in the laborers into the harvest, we're saying, Lord, make us the workers into the harvest. Lord, make us the workers of your kingdom into the harvest. So the first thing is, when I talk about it, is his kingdom. The gospel of salvation is the starting point of the gospel of the kingdom. You notice in what we read? Jesus moving from one town to another, from one city to another. The Bible said he had one goal. He preached the gospel of the kingdom. So it means that the gospel of salvation is to get people into the fold, is to bring them into the fold, but it doesn't end there. There is so much more into the kingdom of God. It means that the kingdom of God needs to take place and get into all areas of society because kingdom is God's rule on earth. Wherever the Lord Jesus Christ reigns, there you have the kingdom of God. 
This is true whether Jesus reigns in the life of an individual, a group, a city, or a nation. Brothers and sisters, when we step into a room, the kingdom of God has just arrived. When you step into a room, the kingdom of God has just arrived. It means that you are carrying the power, the presence of God. You're bringing the kingdom of God. At times, you don't realize that. If I was you, I would walk with a swag because I know I'm carrying the kingdom of God. I am carrying the kingdom of God. I like the way Bill Johnson puts it. He says that the kingdom of God is both now and not yet. Let us not let the not yet prevent us from experiencing the now. A lot of us, we focus on the not yet of the kingdom. We pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yes, as we pray that prayer, the kingdom of God is taking place right here, right now. That is why I said when I saw the mayor writing the prophetic word, I knew at that point the kingdom of God has arrived. So the kingdom of God is both now and not yet. But let's not, the not yet, prevent us from experiencing the now. We've got to live with this kingdom. I was sitting with a friend uh, two Fridays ago, and he was telling me, Brother, I am praying and trusting God for unique solutions to the problems of our country. I'm praying and trusting God to give me unique solutions to unemployment. And he shared an idea that I've never thought about before. And before long, he said, don't share it with anyone. I'm still too patented. <laughs> I said, he's a very clever brother. Eh? He's thinking, man, I shared with a pastor, he's going to preach about it. So I can't tell you what it is. So I, I'm challenging all of you. I'm challenging all of you to trust God for those unique solutions. In all areas of society, where God has placed you, pray those prayers, audacious prayers, and say, God, how do I tend the spreadsheet in a way that KPMG cannot tend it? I just had to throw that one there. Even Bell Pottinger. We, we need the children of God in those areas, in those fields of society to bring His kingdom. Because God's kingdom is where Christ rules. All of us are called to build God's kingdom wherever we are. It is in Ezekiel 47, the prophet is having this vision with an angel. And they're moving in the temple. And in the temple, the water is flowing from the altar. As the water is flowing from the altar... The Ezekiel, the prophet, he says the water level in the temple was ankle deep. And then he says we walked uh, 500 meters. Just as we were walking out of the, the temple 500 meters, the water level rose to knee deep. And they were walking another 500 meters. You notice I converted for you, right? The Bible didn't say meters, it said cubits. So being an engineer, you know, I, I thought, what an opportunity. What an opportunity to take my calculator while I am preparing a sermon. Everything that you study never goes to waste, right? God will use it. Amen. He uses everything. Nothing goes to waste. As I was enjoying preparing the sermon with my calculator. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know what's happened to the service. There's just more joy here, you know. <laughs> there was a calculator there, and I'm counting, wow, 500 meters. The next 500 meters, he says the water level went up to waist level. And then he walked another 500 meters. The water level went up here. He says, I could not walk anymore. I had to swim. And as I was pondering about this and understanding that the very same Ezekiel 47, he says the water was flowing into the, into the city. As it was flowing into the city, I was thinking to myself, in Revelation, the Bible speaks of the river of fire. Only God can combine fire and water, right? 
Science cannot figure that out. The river of fire was flowing from the throne room of God. It means that water represents revival. It means that revival is not meant to stay within the four walls of the church. Revival is meant to go to the city. Because it was only ankle deep in the church, but it was a swimming pool. It was a river of fire into the city. Revival is meant to be for the city. It was two kilometers out of the city. Two kilometers out of, out of the church into the city. That's where we are called to be, to bring in the kingdom of God. So children of God, let us have this theology of bringing revival into the city. I am passionate about this. When I pray for Joburg, I pray for revival. The fire, the river of God into our city. His compassion. When Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. When we see the people of Joburg, what do we see? Compassion moves us to action. If there is no action, it's because there is no compassion. If there is no action, it's because there is no compassion. Jesus, when he saw the people, what did he do? He was moved with compassion. Something moved him to do something about it. When we see the people of Joburg, what happens? Do we judge them? Do we write them off? Or do we see them with spiritual eyes? Jesus saw them with spiritual eyes. That's why he could, before they said anything, he said they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Before they said anything, they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I was studying this word, <coughs> compassion. I did my best to pronounce that. Splech nizome. Something like that. Something like that. So there's a guy in my connect group. He's Greek, and he says all your content in terms of definition of Greek words are correct. But pronunciation, no. So this time around, I asked him, how do you say this word? But what's more important about this word is it means to be moved from the inward. To be moved from the inward parts. When we have compassion, you feel it down here. To be moved from the inward parts. I was just thinking about this, you know, um, the balls are known as a seat of mercy, of pity, and of love. So when you love someone, you feel it down here. There's a guy that I started discipling before he moved to Brazil. Now I'm discipling him over Skype. And he sends me a message. He says, brother, you know, I, I've met someone. And my heart skip a beat when I think of her. Ah, the brother is in love. You know, like he says, my heart skip a beat and I feel it down here. I feel it here that I love this person. And compassion is like that. Compassion is we must feel it down here for the people. The best way to put it is compassion is to ache from the inside for someone. When we have compassion, when we ache from the inside, it will change their lives and it will also change our lives. That's what I like about it. Not only their lives are changed, but my life is also changed because I've acted. For the young people here, by pressing click, it doesn't mean that you have compassion. I know that we press like in Facebook when someone has lost, lost someone. And we think that's enough. When someone has lost a, lost a loved one, you just press click and you think that that's enough. Pressing like is not enough. Doing something about it, that's what compassion is. Because compassion will cost us something. If it doesn't cost you, it's not compassion. Compassion will cost you something. To say that you care and not act is not compassion. To say that you care and not act is not compassion. Caring and acting, that's compassion. It is like uh, John Knox who said, Lord, give me Scotland or I die. 
is the same prayer we pray about Johannesburg. When I pray for Johannesburg, I weep. I say, God, give us Johannesburg. I didn't say, Lord, or I die because I might have to commit suicide. So I left that part out. I'm just saying, Lord, give us Johannesburg. God looked at them and they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I'm intrigued by the fact that Jesus was right there with them, but they were harassed and helpless. How can you be harassed and helpless when the shepherd is right there? I believe it's because they neglected and rejected the good shepherd. It is in John chapter 10 when the scripture says, I am the good shepherd. So they rejected the good shepherd. So the same thing is happening to us today where Christians and non-Christians are neglecting the good shepherd. They're neglecting the Lord who came to die for us on the cross. Why are people harassed? We are harassed because of sin in our lives. We are harassed because of the negative things we believe about ourselves. Not what God is saying about us, but the negative things that we believe about ourselves. So I'm encouraging you to run to the good shepherd who has compassion over us. They were harassed and helpless. Talking about negative thoughts, I was thinking about the conversation we had with one of our daughters. And my wife and I, we had this practice to be fully engaged, to be fully present. We will take them to bed and then pray with them and read scripture with them. So the one night we're sitting with one of our daughters and uh, we're asking how she's doing and everything. And my wife is studying psychology and Christian counseling. So she asks these deep questions. You get what I mean? Like questions I wouldn't think about. She asks our daughter, so how are you doing emotionally? I'm like, if you ask me that question, I'll say, I'm good. If you ask our son, who's 13, 10, 14, how are you doing emotionally? He'll say, I'm good. But you ask the girls. They're like, and this one did this, and this one did this, and this is how it made me feel. I'm like, wow, this is another level. So, so, so my wife asking those questions, I thought, I'm going to try and be deep as well. I asked my daughter, so girl, what do you think of our love for you? Man, I didn't know I'd opened a can of worms. She goes, yeah, dad, I think you love my sister more than me. I'm like, what? Uh, at that moment, I, I, I held back. I, I tried to be stoic, you know, like, can you give some examples? What do you mean, you know? What do you mean by that, uh, you know? And she starts explaining, you know, I carry her more than, you know, I carry, I carry the younger one more than I carry her. And I'm like, you're not as young as you used to be, you know? That's why I carry the other one. But in any case, it was just examples that she gave. Out of that, she had a perception that I love the other one more than her. And it was not true. As we're walking out of the room, because, you know, like, I held myself together. We're walking out of the room with my wife. I go like, <laughs> you know, I start crying. I'm like, the reason for my crying is, is, is because I love her the same way as I love others. But she has believed this lie. And I was pondering about it and thinking how many of God's children think that they are favorites in the kingdom. How many of God's children think that God has more compassion on others than them? Even worse, how many people out there who do not know the Lord, who have not experienced the love that we have, think that God doesn't love them? And out of that, I just thought the same love that we've experienced in the Lord, we cannot keep it to ourselves. We need to take it to others. Like we're worshiping this morning. What a great, great, awesome worship. You could feel the tangible presence of God. We don't want to keep that to ourselves. Let's make Him known. Amen. Let's, let this compassion 
move us to action. He calls us the royal priesthood. He calls us the beloved. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. That's the God that we serve. He says, you are the apple of his eye. And finally, he says, it is his harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The best way to put it is the harvest is not a church membership drive. It is a drive to bring back lost souls to the Father. The harvest is not to grow the church. Yes, as much as we want to grow the church to do the things that God wants us to do. But the big drive to actually share the good news is so those who have not experienced Him can experience Him can experience this love that we're talking about, can experience this transformation that we're talking about. The harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. God's solution to the harvest crisis is more laborers. He says, pray. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers, where? Into his harvest. So this 938 initiative, as we put reminders of, on our phones, to remind us to pray for the laborers. But not only to pray for the laborers, but we can be the laborers. I pray that, Lord, make me a laborer. You can put a reminder for yourself, whether it's 9.38 in the morning or 9.38 uh, uh, in the evening, just to remember to pray for the harvest. But pray that God give us opportunities to share the good news. I don't know if you notice, every time you ask for the opportunities, they come. Every time you pray and say, Lord, give me an opportunity, it comes. It is us who normally just will be threatened and not obey and not move forward and not take a risk. But opportunities are there because the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. I'm going to close with a story from uh, Michael Cassidy. I was uh, blessed to uh, share with him uh, on the 14th of July this year. We were in Durban, and there was this, you've heard about the evangelism training that happened in Durban. And uh, I, I was blown away to, to have him sit there in the front while I'm preaching. It's like having apostles right here, you know, when I'm preaching. <laughs> you know, it's amazing because it's people that you look up to. It's people that you respect. So Michael Cassidy is this larger-than-life personality, right? He's played a major role in the transformation of South Africa. During the Codessa uh, negotiations, he brought in the Nkata Freedom Party, National Party, ANC, and other political leaders to a lodge somewhere so he can help them build relationship together. Now, this guy is that kind of a deep, amazing guy. And then on the day that he comes to speak, he shares a story that speaks about the power of prayer. Realizing, if you read some of his books, you'll realize that he notices that the things that we do, we cannot do without prayer. We need prayer. And he shares with us that morning that he was invited to come and preach and do a crusade at this town in Maritzburg. And uh, day one, the pastor who invited everyone with the posters, they did not have social media those times. Sorry, Mike. They had posters. You put posters and you invite the evangelist and then he comes to preach. The pastor who called the crusade, he says, well, you know, the, the, the hall is not full. We hope that tomorrow we can fill up the hall and we can have more people get saved. Day two, there were few people. Day three, there were few people. Then the pastor goes to Michael and says, you better produce, young man. What's going on? Yeah. And Michael is thinking, me, produce? He says, no, 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 no. We have to pray to the Lord of the harvest. So he challenged them and he said, 
if you can bring your ushers and your altar counselors, whom you are complaining that they don't have work, to pray with me the following day. We'll pray all through the night, and let's see what God will do. And they all gathered, and they prayed through the night. And the following day, the hall was so packed, there was not enough room for people to sit. They called an altar call. There were so many people that gave their lives to the Lord that the altar call workers and the ashes were not enough. And this pastor starts repenting. <laughs> you know? Because it is when we pray that God moves. It is when we go on our knees that God moves. So I challenge all of us to pray for the city of Joburg. To pray for the people of Joburg. And as we do that, we'll see the hand of the Lord in our city. Amen. When we talk about, yeah, I got that amen right there at the back, right there at the back. We bless with words. We listen to the Holy Spirit. We eat with people. That's why I'm looking forward to the bride with the coach of the soccer team. We eat with people. And we solve them. We, we share the story. We share his story. So I want to encourage you this morning. If you have been disillusioned, if you have, your heart has grown cold towards Johannesburg and the city of Joburg, I pray that God will restore the love for the city. I pray that God will restore the love to see the city transformed. I pray that you will join us in trusting God to see the city transformed. I pray that you will join us in that. Let's bow our heads to pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here this morning to challenge us to look at the city differently, Father. You are here this morning to encourage us, Father, to see Johannesburg differently, Father God. And as our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, I want to give an opportunity to people who are here this morning who are saying that I've not given my life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of my life. If you're here this morning and you feel like you are here, but you know that you haven't made a decision to follow Christ, to live for Him. Maybe you've been going to church all your life, but actually you've not started a relationship with Jesus. If you are here, I'm going to ask you to take a bold step and just raise your hand so God can actually have an encounter with you this morning. So God can change your life this morning. If you are here while I was preaching, you knew that God was speaking to you. That today is your day to make a commitment to follow Him. Just raise your hand right where you are so we can pray with you. Thank you. If you are here, thank you. Thank you, my sister. Thank you, my sister. Anyone else? Anyone else? You, are, you know that God has been speaking to you this morning, that you need to give your life to Him. That's why you are here today. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else? I want to give you an opportunity to commit your life to Christ so you can be a blessing as He's calling us to be a blessing. Thank you, my brother. Anyone else? Anyone else? This is your opportunity. This is your moment. This is your moment. I just want to, you can put your hands down. Father, I pray, these people that raise their hands, that you'll give them the boldness to step forward, Lord God, to make this commitment to live for you. And the same blessing that was spoken on Abraham will be upon them. That God, you've blessed us to be a blessing. That God, they'll be blessed from today to be a blessing, Father. In the name of Jesus. May we all stand as a congregation. And the people who raise their hands, I'm going to ask you to take a bold step to come to the front so we can pray for you. 
And the reason for praying for you is to also help you to start a journey with the Lord. Thank you, my brother. Thank you, my sister. Let's give them a round of applause as they come to the front. Thank you. We're not going to ask you to say anything. We just want to pray for you. If you stand here, face me. Stand here and face me so we can pray for you. Thank you, my sister. Thank you. This is the best decision you can ever make with your life.